Colossians chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. So if you want to turn there, that would be awesome. Um, let, me, uh, let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this morning, God. God, I thank you for the children as they leave. God, I pray that you would plant the gospel into their hearts this morning. I pray for Rebecca and Hannah Grace as they teach our children that you would use them to plant the gospel inside of our kids, God. Lord, I pray now as we gather and and we come humbly to your word, admitting that we are in need of, of your word this morning. God, I pray for humility to reign in our hearts, God, and, and we would, as a result, be seeking what it is that you have to say to us this morning, God. Lord, I am before you a broken vessel desiring for this message to penetrate my heart as well, God. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you for the brokenness of this world that makes us aware of our need for Jesus. God, show us the dark places of our soul this morning that need the light of your Son. In Christ's perfect name, amen. So I think, like, I don't know, a lot of times... My perspective, and, and I, I think maybe a lot of perspectives of people in this scenario, you guys are seated, I'm standing, I've got a microphone, I'm about to teach. Um, like, I've got something figured out that you guys need to figure out. Um, and I, I want to I just be clear and open and honest that that is not the truth. I struggle and I wrestle with what I'm about to say in a deep way. And almost every time I stand up here, it's something that I'm, I wrestle and I struggle with and, and I don't have perfected. And it doesn't make any sense to me. I've, I've prayed back there most of the morning that this, it doesn't make sense to me that God, the, the words would come from my mouth when I have no, like, this is something I wrestle with. You know, the guy that gets to hold the microphone should be the guy who's got it figured out. But that's typically not the case in Christianity and that's not the case this morning. Um, so, uh, would, would you grant me that, like, permission to hold the microphone and still not have it figured out? Um, or have the microphone strapped to my ear? Um, Colossians chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning, and, and it's Paul's sort of conclusion to a segment that began in Colossians chapter 3. And that segment in Colossians chapter 3 begins with this sort of vague, philosophical, high you know, above 10,000 feet sort of idea philosophy of not living for ourselves, but instead living for, to, to die to yourself, or instead living with an eye towards heaven, and everything we do and operate, all the relationships that we have on this earth are about leveraging them for the kingdom, leveraging them for, for what is to come, dying to yourself. And, and I think what Paul's getting at in those first four verses of, of Colossians 3 is to Denying yourself doesn't mean we don't pursue our joy because we, we do pursue our joy. We just pursue it in different ways. And death to self, the flesh tells us, gives us impulses 
that we want to act upon to get our joy here and now in this moment, in this particular moment. And I think the first four verses of Colossians 3, Paul is warring against that, getting us, teaching us to learn to deny those quick and momentary fleshly impulses that make us want to provide joy for ourselves outside of context of what God has provided for us here, now, in this moment. And I think most of every sin, all the ones that I've thought of, are rooted there in, in some sort of quick, momentary place or time where we are trying to gratify an impulse that exists within us. And Paul says in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, deny that. And that's what it means to deny yourself. And we've wrestled with this. Like if, if, and we talked about hupotasso and what hupotasso means, that we're serving others, willingly placing ourselves under. And ultimately, that doesn't work if we're all doing that. Nobody does anything if we're, just, if, if we're trying to beat each other, serving one another. We are to serve one another, but ultimately, it is, it is okay to pursue your own joy. And to get for yourself, that's okay. That's, that's not what, when Paul says deny yourself, when Scripture says deny yourself, when Scripture says look towards heaven, it's not about, like, I'm never going to have any sort of joy. What it's saying is denying those impulses that appear in you that are contrary to what God is. Because the, the greatest command of, like, our greatest command is not a right, right phrase. Let me erase that and come back. It's okay to pursue your own joy because really your own true joy is found only in God. And your own true joy is found only in denying those fleshly momentary impulses. And that's what Paul is getting at in those first four verses of Colossians chapter 3. So then the rest of chapter 3 that Dave walked through the last two weeks on us about are about what that looks like particularly in relationships. Relationships with our spouses, relationships with, with people that we connect with, relationships with our children, relationships with employee-employer relationships. And Dave kind of brought people up last week from, that, that lived in one of those particular situations. He brought up Danielle. Danielle talked about what it looked like to, to live with an eye towards heaven, denying self in the context of a marriage. And, and what it looks like to deny yourself, deny those impulses, and serve others in the context of uh, being a child or being a parent or being an employee or being an employer, all those things. And so Paul is all throughout Colossians 3 being very practical about what it means to live in these relationships. And now what we're going to deal with in these first four verses of Colossians chapter 4 are this, is this, that what it looks like to pray in self-denial. And again, self-denial isn't we're completely going to be miserable for the rest of our lives, but instead we're going to ignore those temporary momentary impulses that appear outside of the context that God has for us. What does it mean for us to pray in that context? And that's the heart of what Colossians chapter 4 is about, or the first few verses here. So let's, um, let's read. We're really, we're really just doing three verses, two through four. Let's read them together. Um, Colossians 4, uh, 2 through 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer. I love that word, steadfastly. We'll talk about it in a second. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us. 
us here, parenthetically, let's do our history lesson from Colossians. If you've been with us from the beginning, this is redundant to you, but I want to say us here, our leadership, apostolic leadership of this church in Colossae. There, a guy named Epaphras was a part of a church in Colossae. He went to Ephesus to hear Paul preach in a city called Ephesus, and he preached and was changed. And so Paul kind of equipped him and taught him and led him on how to go and start a church. And he went back to his hometown of Colossae and started a church. So when Paul says us, it's all of those people that were the leadership of Ephesus and all the people that, that began to become the leadership of, of Colossae, that's us. So it's big overarching church leadership, uh, us. So pray for us that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. We're going to spend a lot of time on the mystery of Christ because I think it's deeply profound and we've got to understand it. And it's, it's this thing, my whole thing at the beginning where like I got the mic, but I, like I'm not prepared for this. Mystery of Christ is where that's found and we'll get to that later. Verse four, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Uh, let's, let's pray again, if that's okay. God, guide us as we seek to understand what it is you have to say to us through these words. Guide us to understand what it means to, to, to seek open doors, to live watchfully, to live thankfully, to pray steadfastly. Help us to understand and proclaim the mystery of Christ. Open our eyes to your word this morning that we might know you and hear from you. In Christ's perfect name, amen. So there's a few things for us to, to walk through here. Um, first, what does it mean to continue steadfastly in prayer? Steadfastly means, uh, elsewhere in, in other translations, it, it says to devote, to give yourself completely to and I think that's really an interesting idea, to be steadfast or to devote, to, to give yourself completely to. Um, like there's very few things that, that, really, that really wind up there in our lives, that we completely give ourselves to, that we completely devote ourselves to. I'd like to say to you that I com- I'm completely devoted to my wife, but there are times where I'm completely devoted to how my wife can serve me. And that's not completely devoted to her. I'd like to tell you that I'm completely devoted to my children. But there are times where I'm completely devoted to how I can get them to go to sleep so that I can serve myself. And, and all of that, all of, all of that, isn't talking about devoting yourself to prayer, but in my mind, it, it teaches me about the fact that I'm devoted to me. And, and my prayer this week is that somehow I have, I have an easy, it's really, really easy to devote myself to Rick. And I think if we're really honest with ourselves, it's really, really easy for you to devote yourself to you. And my prayer for me and for us, what would change us is that sort of under, we know how to be devoted. That understanding of what it means to be devoted, that we would move that to prayer. And this is again, how to live our lives, focus towards heaven and focus off of our immediate impulses. 
Continue steadfastly in prayer. That's the answer. In prayer, be steadfast. So, specifically, what is he telling us to pray about? Be watchful in it. Be watchful in it. Um, what did you guys do last Thursday night? Those of you who had children, have children, what did you do last Thursday night? You dressed them up and stuff, and you walked around the neighborhood, and it was cold, and it was rainy. And it's always dark at Halloween. So, like, when I was a kid, like, I couldn't wait for it to start getting dark, because, like, when it was kind of dark, that meant I could go start knocking on doors and getting candy, right? And when it was really dark, it was like, man, ev- like, this is, this is it. This is it. So it's dark, and it's wet, and it's rainy. And I was with my brother and his kids and my kids, and we're walking around my parents' neighborhood, um, getting candy and whatever, and like every once in a while, you, you see lights kind of coming, and oh man, here comes a car. My, my immediate response, immediate response is, okay, where are my kids? Because it's cold, it's wet, it's rainy. I know they're completely not focused on what they need to be. They're focused on candy. They're not focused on looking both ways when they cross the street, all right? And, and so I am, I'm paranoid, paranoid and and every once in a while like it's a good neighborhood so like if we did this on my street there'd be cars driving up and down my street like it's 60 miles an hour it happens every day but there most of most of the cars are driving pretty slowly and every once in a while though there's a car that's coming really fast which makes me even more paranoid where are my kids i gotta get them and that's that idea continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful This is what God is calling us to in our prayers. This sort of, it's cold, it's dark, it's rainy, my kids are not completely focused on what they need to be focused on, they're going to get hit by a car. That sort of paranoia, that sort of sensitivity, whenever we see a car, our mind quickly goes to where are my children? Whenever we see a car, What's the metaphoric car for us? Whenever we see that, our mind instantly goes to prayer. Be watchful in prayer. That's what it means to be watchful in prayer. And for us to have our minds focused towards heaven, we need to have that sort of quick, responsive thoughtfulness about praying. When my metaphoric car comes, I quickly go to when protecting my metaphoric children or going to prayer. Be watchful in prayer. With thanksgiving. Um, I want you guys to, to stop for a second and, and uh, think about the idea of, of thanksgiving. This, and, and this word here, the, the, the Greek, is talking about not just being thankful, but it's the subtlety, the nuance to it is that it has an attitude of thankfulness, right? An attitude means the state of mind, the state of being, the state of personhood that predicts our response to external circumstances. Say that again. The state of mind or personhood that predicts our response to external circumstances. When you have a good attitude, when bad happens, you respond good. When you have a bad attitude, when bad or good happens, you respond bad. When we have a thankful attitude, and that's what we're being called to here, 
our attitude in prayer is thankfulness. We respond to life, circumstances good, bad, and different. We respond thankfully. When bad happens to us, we respond thankfully. When good happens to us, we respond thankfully. When hmm happens to us, we respond thankfully. This is what to have our mind focused towards heaven and, and denying ourselves, we have an attitude of thankfulness in our prayers. With that in mind, I want to ask you guys a question, a non-rhetorical question, so get ready to answer verbally. <clears throat> what is it in your life that you are thankful for? It can be superficial, it can be deep, it can be whatever. Speak. Job? Job? Absolutely. Family. My wife. Amanda. Food. Yes. Seriously. <laughs> Is that bad that like the first one I get really excited about? <laughs> my wife. Amanda, my friend, my job, food. Yes. What else what else are you thankful for? God being in control is what you say. Word. Um, so I want to take you inside my dining room yesterday. My sermon is written, and my practice is to go back at some point on either Friday or Saturday and just kind of walk back through the message, uh, read through it, maybe make a few ch- changes, adjustments. I'm doing that yesterday. Sit at my dining room table. And um, my habit is I pull up Spotify and I've got a worship playlist and some songs are on there and uh, Greatest Life Faithfulness is playing. Um, and I really thought about singing it to you guys this morning. But <laughs> uh, Maybe Rick, you and I can go hang out later and I'll sing it to you. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so Greatest Life Faithfulness is playing and... Uh, I'm reading this part about thankfulness and what I'm going to, what I'm, what I'm going to say, or like this idea of what I'm thankful for. And uh, Mia walks in, doesn't speak, and she just lays her head in my lap. And over me is being sung, great is thy faithfulness. Thou changest not, thy compassions I fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. And my heart was filled with thankfulness because he, in fact, is faithful. And a personification of his faithfulness is my child in my lap. And, and my mind goes to this idea. When I can't listen to that song now without thinking about my friend Brian. I've talked about my friend Brian before. He's a pastor in Kansas City, and he has a child with special needs and really, really difficult life who passed away about a year ago. At what, four or five years old, Jen? Four. She was four. And all four of those years where she struggled to breathe. And whenever she was wrestling and struggling to breathe and like almost comatose at times and just struggling, Brian would go into her room and sing Great Is Thy Faithfulness to her. I can't hear Great Is Thy Faithfulness without thinking of Brian and Olivia. And he would sing that to her. 
and she would instantly calm. I could have gone in that room. Her mom could have gone. Anybody could have gone in that room and sung grace and faithfulness, and it would have changed her. She would have continued to wrestle. It happened. Brian goes into that room, and his voice sings that over her, and she just. And I know that, and, and I've, I've been in the room when Brian is singing that song to her. And I know what that looks like. And now here I am reading, thinking about how I can proclaim to you all what it means to have an attitude of thankfulness. And my daughter lays on my lap as great as thy faithfulness plays. Attitude of thankfulness. In our prayers, an attitude of thankfulness. And it rises from us and makes us change. And we go into our world with this sort of attitude of thankfulness. The same thing that's in my heart and wants it, makes it want to explode and write a million words about how great God is when my daughter lays her head in my lap and just, that's what, those, those are the only sounds she made. Thankfulness. This is God and he's speaking it to you. How to live this life thinking towards him is with this sort of attitude of thankfulness. And I prayed in that moment that God would, would capture, would bottle that moment, that sense of, of security and, and gratefulness and understanding that he is God and he is faithful and he's got this, would be captured in my heart forever. But I'm weak and I'm broken and I'm sinful and so are you. And there's never going to come a time where we don't need to completely throw ourselves in the mercy and grace of God. But there's also never going to come a time where he doesn't welcome us into his lap and sing great as I faithfulness over us. At the same time, verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. Praying that God would have open doors for us. Um, I'm, I'm praying and we are praying that God would open doors for us. Open, us, open doors for us for what? To, to plant the gospel. And here's the thing. Like, when my immediate reaction writing this trying to to convince us of what it means to to pray for and seek out open doors for the gospel. It's all about, like, us going places. And and, and I I go to friends of mine that I want to, I'm I'm praying that God would allow spiritual conversations to happen. And I think that there's a, a bit of that that's true. There's a big part of that that's true, that God would open doors for us to plant the gospel. But I think There's also, as we talk about prayer and having a mind focused towards heaven in prayer, the open doors a lot of times are in our own stinking hearts. That God would open doors for his gospel to be planted in us. And I I use that phrase a lot, plant the gospel. What 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 am I talking about when I say plant the gospel? mean this, that we are more broken than we realize, and God is more loving than we realize, and we're more accepted than we realize. And and to plant that notion inside of our hearts, and 
then we rise from that, and then we begin to, to love like Jesus, and serve like Jesus, and live like Jesus, and forgive like Jesus. That's what it means to plant the gospel, to go in your context, in your context, your work, your job, your church. Like the gospel needs to be planted here. Our relationships with one another need the gospel. Don't forget that. It's not just we got to go and bring people here to this place. We need to plant the gospel in our own hearts. We need to plant the gospel in our own relationships. And when we run from that, we fail each other. I fail you. You fail me. You fail, the person, we fail each other. So much of our lives are like we're so, and this is dangerous, this is slippery. We're so evangelistically trained that we fail. We're, we're, like our brains are so focused evangelistically, and that's good. But we also need this for how we relate to one another and how we relate to God. So when we say plant the gospel in our hearts, we need to plant it in us. And that means understanding our acceptance and understanding our, the depth of our sin and then allowing that notion and our complete and full acceptance to change who we are and start living like Christ, loving like Christ, forgiving like Christ, serving like Christ in our own hearts and in our own churches, in our own neighborhoods, our families, and then outside. And it, all of that, the gospel needs to be planted in every aspect of our lives. Every aspect. And it's massive for us. So when we hear, pray for open doors, it's not just for open doors to people who don't know Christ. It's open doors that the gospel might root deeply in our lives and spring up with fruit. And that fruit looks like Jesus. This whole series centered on Jesus, that we might see him and our need for him, and that might change us. That's the gospel being planted in us and the fruit that explodes from that. It's massive. We're almost done. Bear with me a little bit. At the same time, pray for us all so that we may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. We're going to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about this mystery of Christ and what it means what is the mystery of Christ? Um, never, ever in my existence has this been more clear to me than when and how I relate to my son. And I've spoken with Cooper this week and told him I'm about what I'm getting ready to say, and I have his permission to say these things. Um, Cooper is 10, and he's, he's my boy back there. We baptized him about a year ago. Uh, Never, ever in my life is, is the mystery of Christ more profound in my heart than in my son. Uh, because as his dad, the hopes and dreams and plans that I have for him are way greater than he has for himself. And because of that, and because of my own failures as a dad and as a man and, and as whatever, a lot of times the manifestations of my hopes and dreams for him wind up with me being too hard. And I, I think there's a misnomer, like, I, I don't know, I'm kind of like 
mellow and easygoing and whatever. And I think a lot of you guys, like, press that upon me. And it doesn't make sense to you to think that there might be a time where I was, like, neck veins screaming, yelling at my son. But I promise you that happens, and it happens frequently. And I'm sorry. Another reason why I, I don't deserve to hold this microphone. But never is there a more pure, more perfect time to understand the mystery of Christ in a way I see and relate to my son. Because in the midst of those times, I understand and I see in him, I know the hopes and plans and dreams I have for him, but I see in him sin and failure that makes me want to change that. It makes me yell and get frustrated at that. And, and I, I'm, I'm so focused on changing him. And I've had, like, I'm going to say out-of-body experience, but not literally, like, ooh, like, weird sort of supernatural stuff. But, like, where I have been able to stop somehow and see Rick yelling at Cooper when Rick needs to be yelling at Rick the things that he's yelling at Cooper. You, does that process? Um, never before do I see the mystery of Christ more purely than when I'm in those moments because my son has a really kind and pure heart. Like, you watch him on the baseball field. You watch him on the playground at school. You watch him... What, he's got a really kind and pure heart. Somebody sitting alone... Cooper's going to try and bring him in. Somebody is outside, Cooper's going to try to bring him in. He, 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 loves, he loves people. He loves to have fun. It's, and, and he's also really smart. And he's really kind. And, and all those things. But he's really quick to be angry show him a, a, a tiny bit of you're treating me unfairly and like rage comes in him. And I don't understand where it comes from. And it breaks my heart and I see that in my boy. There have been times where like somebody does something mean to him and then he, he responds being mean back to them and there's this fight and mostly him and Hannah Grace fighting with one another physically, and Cooper, like, he's overcome, and he says things like, I hate you, I wish you were dead. And he runs to his room, and I want to run to his room and hold him and say, buddy, it's okay, just re- breathe. And all he can say to me in that moment is, get away from me, screaming and get away from me. And in those moments, all I want to do is say to him, I love you, son. The mystery of Christ. Right there. But all he wants to do is duck his head under his pillow. Because he's come to grips with his own brokenness and he doesn't know how to deal with it. He's 10 years old and he doesn't know how to deal with his own brokenness. It hurts him. And it hurts me as his dad to watch it. And it hurts me as his dad to watch it even worse because I know that's me. I don't know how to deal with my brokenness. And you don't know how to deal with your brokenness. The mystery of Christ. The beauty of this all is that it's atoned for. 
I've wrestled with this word atone, what it means to have something atoned for, a right, a wrong made right. The mystery of Christ is in the midst of your wrongness, in the midst of your metaphoric putting your head under the pillow, yelling at everybody to go away. Jesus has imputed his rightness into you. Seriously. This is the mystery of Christ that God is is calling us to plant in our own hearts and into this, this community and into our context. This is Christ. This is Jesus. He wants to impute this to you. This is the mystery of Jesus. Let's pray and respond to Christ. Father, I thank you God, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the mystery of Christ. That Cooper and Rick and each of us are way more sinful. We are capable of so much evil that we can't even grasp it. But you are capable of such greater love and acceptance, God. And Lord, we have no idea how to handle our brokenness. And many times we have no idea how to even handle our love, your love for us. God, I pray that you would teach us the gospel. Change our hearts, God. Plant the gospel in our hearts and in our souls. We love you. God, I say on behalf of all of us, we need you so bad. May we have you, please. In Christ's name.